Let's Talk Books. I'm Robin Van Auken, a writer and a teacher. My guest and I want to help you write your own book. We're sharing ideas about inspiration, book publication, and promotion. You can find the episode show notes, a free novel, guides, and tutorials at robinvanauken.com. Enjoy the show. It's episode number nine, and my guest is Dave Belomo, a fitness expert, personal trainer, and author. I met Dave about 18 years ago when he worked with me as a personal trainer. I continued to work with Dave after he opened his own gym. We had a lot of fun brainstorming and creating fitness books and digital workout manuals. You'll learn about Dave's passion for kettlebells, a unique, simple, yet highly effective piece of exercise equipment. Dave is an expert and has authored two books on the topic. He's worked with high-level athletes such as martial artists, strongmen competitors, and law enforcement professionals. He's also worked with elite military, including members of the Homeland Security and U.S. Special Operations. My own son, a former Green Beret, still uses one of Dave's kettlebells, and he considers it one of the best tools to use for tactical training. I'm happy to reconnect with Dave, not only because he's got a lot of wisdom to share, but because I need a jolt of his optimism and encouragement. I've been injured for the past year, suffering from a torn Achilles tendon, and I need to get healthy. Dave can help me do that. He can help you, too, through his company, Belomo Online Training. You can learn more about Dave in his books, as well as his training company, in the show notes at robinvanauken.com. Let's get started. Hello, it's Robin Van Auken, the wholehearted author, and I am here today with Dave Belomo. Dave, welcome to my show. Well, thanks for having me. All right, I'm here today to talk to you a little bit about your book. Um, actually, you have a couple of them out, but your most recent book. Could you tell me a little bit about this? This is Kettlebell Training for Strength and Power. Well, uh, it was one of those labors of love. Uh, it was really not written for a very broad audience, but a, but sort of a specialized group. It was just uh, an idea I had in my head. It hadn't been written about, and uh, and uh, I like to write. It was just a fun project to do. Um, so I really enjoy um, strength and conditioning, the writing, the practice of it, uh, the history of it, which is is uh, largely forgotten, unfortunately, um, and uh, throughout my career, which is about 25 years uh, in in the fitness field now, um, I've just run into a bunch of great, uh, interesting people with a lot of knowledge, and I wanted to take some of those ideas and and put them in a book. So uh, it, it was a fun fun project. For people who do not know what kettlebells are, <laughs> kettlebells, tell us a little bit about the history. And I, I, I was reading your book and learning a little bit myself about the history starting in Russia and in not just circuses, but also in, was it farming? Tell me a little bit about that. So um, in modern times, I'll kind of, I'm going to, start kind of current and then go back. Okay. Um, back in the 90s, uh, would have been probably the mid-90s, um, there were a couple of guys. One was from California and one came over from Russia. And it was 
really a business thing. Um, the California guy said, hey, I think we can make some money. And so um, this Russian guy being kind of a front man, they started selling um, these objects called kettlebells. And they're basically, it's a ball, like an iron ball with a handle. And what they would do is they kind of, their, their shtick was um, sort of the whole Russian-Soviet comrade thing, which um, if anybody knows anything about the Olympics and, and Russia's involvement in that sort of thing in weightlifting, um, it was a propaganda thing back in the 40s and 50s. So um, the idea of that stoic, big, thick Russian weightlifter guy, that was engineered on purpose by the Russian government back in the day um, to create a, an image of strength and power. Um, it was political. And uh, currently, or at least up to that point, so we're talking in the 40s, 50s, the U.S. Uh, dominated weightlifting and strength sports. They were really club activities. And so uh, the the Russians said, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna change this." And they they instituted a uh, sort of a a national program to you know uh, recruit these lifters and these track and field athletes and create that image. So what these guys in the '90s did is they sort of capitalized on that and they made it a whole comrade thing and and uh, really played up that end of it. And it uh, was originally marketed toward male martial artists, and it took off like wildfire. And it was really just one company selling these things in the 90s, and they really had a very narrow uh, view on their use. There was only a few exercises. There was one book. It was fairly poorly written. Um, It sold a ton of copies because there was nothing else like it. And... At first, I was hesitant because these things have been around for a long time, but but were only you know reintroduced for a little while at that point. And uh, I said, you know what, uh, these guys are missing the boat. There, there's tons of exercises that are possible. These things could be really mainstreamed. Uh, you know, young athletes, women, big guys, really, you know, anybody could be using these things, and could really create a sort of a tailored program depending on what they wanted. So, um, so we came out with a couple of programs. We, we did some heavier weights and, um, actually marketed them toward, uh, bigger athletes, football players, strong men, powerlifters. And that was more of my background. And then we also did a sort of the other end of things, lighter weights, group exercise, uh, called them cardio bells. And then we, uh, did some videos on that and marketed them to, uh, health clubs. I do recall and, uh, that. I remember. You, um, this was you about were there 16? in the beginning. Yes, that was about 16 years ago. So I remember you were pioneering these. And yeah, then so, yeah, there was Walmart nothing else around and, at that time. Yeah, they all sat up and took notice of what you were doing. And then next thing I know, Walmart is selling cardio bells. And I was thinking, hey, these are days. Well, there's some interesting stories there and, and some, some really bad business decisions on my part. Um, but... What had been forgotten, so I'm going to digress a little bit here, what had been forgotten was the history because all anybody knew, and so we're, we're around maybe 2001 at this point, um, were what these uh, guys, the California guy and the Russian guy, were, were kind of saying, like, you know, hey, this is the history of these things. It was actually pretty largely inaccurate. So they would talk a lot about 
it was called uh, Girovoy, which is kettlebell sport, being a Russian thing, uh, which it was. But it was only as, it only it only goes back to nineteen I think eighty six mid nineteen eighties. And so what it was, it was a fairly unpopular sport in Russia, um, where you know a bunch of bored guys would you know start tossing these kettlebells around for reps, and whoever got the most reps uh, won the contest. And and it wasn't that big of a deal. I actually spoke to some Russian guys and said, you know, kettlebells are far more popular in the U.S. than they ever were in Russia. <laughs> so as as much as they were talking about how popular these things were in Russia and you want to be tough like a Russian guy, it was actually a U.S. thing. And so, uh, you know, I actually looked into the history of these things. And I, I, I got a hold of, uh, uh, really, he's he's probably one of the foremost sort of strength historians and he's kind of the go-to guy in the U.S. Um, his name is Bill Hinburn, and he sells um, rare books, out-of-print books, reprints, the whole bit, anything on strength that goes way back uh, really into the 1800s. So he's your guy for um, these older books and these reprints. And he said, you know, these things really, um, they're probably like like Eastern Germany, that area of Europe, um, probably started out as a blacksmith thing where these guys would uh, put together these weights with a handle and they'd start kind of throwing them around and um, sort of a game of catch, a weird game of catch, you know, where you, your life's yes. at risk, that sort of thing. <laughs> and um, after a be- few beers one night, a few a few friends of mine and I actually tried this thing and it can be done. So um, you make sure you have nothing around. It's a nice empty level lot. And uh, you can actually play catch with these things if you know what you're doing. Um, would not recommend it, but <laughs> we did it uh, back when I was a little younger and stronger. Um, and so that's how he thinks they came to be. I went a little further. I actually uh, um, knew a Russian. Uh, he was actually a college student. And um I had him look into it for me, and he said, you know, the research that he found was that um, the name uh, Gira, which was the Russian word for these kettlebells, uh, could be traced back uh, even much farther than the 1800s when they kind of got popularized with the circuses and that. You see the strongman lifting them, that sort of thing. Uh, went back, um, gosh, really a couple thousand years and um, to... Uh, basically ancient times when uh, it was similar, the word was similar to the ancient word for weight, and they were made of stone. So, you know, there was some form of these things around really for thousands of years, not not just a hundred years. But but they kind of had their heyday um, in the uh, 1800s when you, when you had these traveling circuses, the strong men, you, you know, you see the guy in the leopard skin, bald yes. guy with a handlebar mustache, and they're lifting that big ball with a chain and a, and a handle on it. Those are kettlebells, early kettlebells. Um, you know, you see them on Bugs Bunny cartoons. You see them all over the place. You know, they have that the big block. You know, so that's just a ring weight or another form of kettlebell. So they've been around. Now they're you know movie star things, and they talk about them. I saw an episode of Modern Family that was fairly recent, and they were talking about kettlebells. You know, so uh, they're they're everywhere now. Um, when I first started actually designing these, selling these, nobody knew what they were. So this is why we we actually trademarked the name Cardio Bell to give people the idea that you know it was a a weight that could be used for you know cardiovascular training. Uh, we had the big ones we call those Max kettlebells. 
Uh, I actually took those to the Arnold Classic, which is a big uh, bodybuilder and strongman show in uh, Ohio. And uh, and some of the guys out there were were trying them out, so it was pretty cool. Um, you know, I, they opened a lot of doors for me. It was it was fun. You know, we got to we got to meet a lot of guys I'd see on TV, and you know, they got to reminisce. Some of these guys were older, and uh, you know, saw them when they were coming up through the ranks in the fifties and sixties. So, a lot of fun. Um, and I, like I said, I want to put some of it into writing and and tell some of these stories. Well, now this is your second book on kettlebells, but this one is one that you did specifically for yourself to talk about the history and also, like you said, to serve a niche audience who's looking for power and strength, right? Yeah. So, um, so initially, uh, the first book uh, was 2010. Um, I was contacted, and there there was you know only the one book I had mentioned that I knew of. Right. Uh, so McGraw-Hill picked up the first book, um, and they published it. And uh, that was kind of fun and exciting, but it was really uh, geared toward athletics, football, soccer, basketball, that sort of thing. And I felt that guys like myself that actually like these things, uh, you know, more for ourselves, lifting heavy weights, you know, people that were sort of your backyard strongmen, a fan of the old school, would much more appreciate this book. And the story hadn't been told. You know, they really didn't know where they came from. They didn't really know how to use them well. You know, still to this day, that's that's up for debate. Um, you know, there's not that many people that really are good at these things. There's, there's it's growing. You know, the popularity has certainly skyrocketed. Um, but unfortunately, a lot of people are getting information from things like you know magazines and celebrity uh, trainers, that sort of thing. And and unfortunately, the skill level is not really there. Um, so this book, um, I got to talk about. Uh, Personal experiences, uh, anecdotal, you know, things um, like getting up at know, three a.m. in the morning to go <laughs> work out with your trainer. Yeah, I cannot see my kids doing that, <laughs> or really anybody anymore. Um, yeah, so strength training, you know, obviously has been a big part of my life. Uh, very important to me. You know, kept me out of trouble, or at least some trouble. Um, and uh, gave me, you know, my self-esteem and, and a lot of my identity. Um, and it's really stuck with me and, and probably my biggest male influences were, um, these early coaches that I've had, you know, in the more serious strength training circles. So, um, you know, I started out as a powerlifter back when I was in my, uh, early teens. I had a uh, wrestling coach who was a big guy, a prison guard, and, uh, he worked out at six o'clock in the morning and eventually that turned into four in the morning. And he put it like this. He said, you want to work out with me? This is when I work out. And so we had a, um, a key to the basement of a warehouse with no heat. And that was our gym. It was owned by another prison guard. There were 40 members, all men. And, um, you know, we'd go there. I'd get up at 3.30. Uh, so I can't even imagine this now. And this is in uh, upstate New York where they have some of the worst weather in the country, frankly. And uh, I had a little Chevette. And this thing, if, if the wind blew wrong, I'd end up in a snowbank and I'd have to get out and, and push it out of the snowbank. And I'd get to the gym by 4 o'clock and I'd start out with winter clothes and, you know, slowly strip layers down to a t-shirt and sweatpants. And I would work out till about 6 o'clock. And then I would go home, uh, get cleaned up, maybe close my eyes for 15 minutes or so. Then I'd drive about 40 minutes to school. And then eventually I'd fall asleep in math class, which was about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. 
<laughs> where my mother was getting phone calls from the teachers. Uh, so I got into competitions around that time and, and uh, did pretty well. Um, set a few records uh, in high school and in college. And, um, and eventually you get to a point where you know, your body starts breaking down. Some people are fortunate and they can, they can get into their master years, which is after 40, and not have any injuries. But I had a number of injuries that caught up with me and uh, I retired from that about age 30 and was looking for something else. I took up uh, judo, and, and this is probably around the time you and I met. Right. Um, so this is going back about 15, 16 years. And, uh, you know, I'm, I was a strong guy. I could, I could um, lift quite a bit of weight, and I, I go out and, and take this judo course, and I get killed. <laughs> and I was shocked. I'm like, you know, hey, I used to wrestle, and I'm strong, and I'm getting killed by these guys. And my instructor said, you know, your strength's a little bit different than what the sport demands. Here's some kettlebells. Try these out. And he basically just dropped them on the floor of my fitness studio. And I kind of had to figure out how to use them. And uh, at first I was like, God, oh, this is stupid. These things, you can't change the weight. They're small. They're very awkward. And um, I kind of let them sit in the corner for about a month. And uh, then eventually I went back to them, started playing around with them and said, you know, if you use them like this or like this, and this is stuff that wasn't written about, um, you can gain a lot of strength that's, you know, what we would call functional now. Functional is not really a scientific term, but, you know, that sort of that work strength, the ability to move around rather than just lift weight. It's not weight for weight training's sake, but for, you know, application to something else like a sport. So right. um, from that, uh, it grew. We started writing articles uh, locally and getting some recognition. And, and this is when the whole thing was just starting to take off. And a lot of it, I like to think, was from our little town in Pennsylvania that nobody ever heard of. But they, you know, as we're writing about these things, you know, people are taking notice. I was contacted by uh, World's Strongest Man competitor, uh, Jesse Mbrunde. He's no longer with us. He took second, I think, in 2005. And um, he actually uh, bought quite a few of them off of me. I, I wrote one of his workouts. You know, this is one of the strongest men on the planet, bar none. And he was listening to what we had to say from, you know, Williamsport, Pennsylvania. Um, you know, we had, uh, eventually I had some equipment manufacturers contact me. <clears throat> That's where things started kind of going south in the business realm. Um, you know, you've got a good idea and what these guys do is they'll wait around, see how it plays out and they'll swoop in and basically take it from you. Cause a lot of these things are not patentable. Right. You cannot um, trademark or copyright an idea. Um, these things, yeah, it's basically public domain. They'd been around for a long time, and the idea was the design of, of the better weights was extremely simple. People tried all kinds of shapes and sizes and, you know, mechanisms, and those were patentable, but they were terrible. Um, the best ones were, were simple balls and handles because they fit the body cr properly and were easy to use. They're, they were balanced, and um, I actually looked into it, and... and uh, you know, my attorney said, you know, if you're lucky enough to get a patent awarded to you, you'll never be able to hold on to it. You're going to be ripped off left and right. And so, um, you know, we kind of went the other way and, and worked on more of the, um, the programming, the intellectual property, and not the hardware. Right, right. Um, Actually, I still yeah. have a lot of those photos. Before um, I called you this evening, I was looking through my Google Drive, and believe it or not, I found a folder called Belomo. And in here, <laughs> it has the first book you and I ever worked on, one of the little books. Um, it was uh, Max 
book that uh, I, I remember that ebook, and then I've got your cardio book, and um, just kind of fun looking back through all these photos over the 16, 18 years ago. You know, here's another funny thing. I was at my son's house. Um, you know, he was a special forces soldier. And, I do. And I was walking through his um, garage where he he doesn't use it for parking, of course. He uses it for workouts. And um, there sits one of Dave Blomo's kettlebells that he, he got from you when he was, I think, 17 or 18 years old. Does he still use it? Oh, yes. It's part of his routine. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. And it's one of the reasons why he's able to continue to do all of the extreme sports he does. He does mountain climbing, uh, mountain biking, skiing, snowboarding, uh, scuba diving. And um, he still works with Special Forces soldiers, but um, he's a civilian now. Yeah, you'll see a lot of that now where this type of training um, – crossed over, um, they call it tactical fitness. Yes. So, um, uh, police, fire, and military, um, before that was a thing, uh, I would actually get orders because, um, this is, you know, back in the early two thousands, there were only two companies that sold these anywhere in the world that we could find literally in the world. And one was mine in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, a little old-fashioned foundry from the 1800s. Yes, I Another remember. one was the California guy would get them out of, I think, Minnesota. And um, the only other ones I had seen were pretty much hand-forged by blacksmiths, and they were very irregular, kind of hand-pounded. I have saw a couple of custom ones. But people would, um, you know, back then they would pay more in shipping than the weight would cost. Yes. And, and uh, I do remember getting an order that had to, um, we had a, I think it was a, a Navy SEAL unit was shipping out of California. And they asked me what, you know, would we be able to, you know, uh, supply them, you know, at a, at a good price. And uh, we gave them a, you know, pretty much at cost. Um, we sent them over because they took up very little space and they were very versatile. And that was really, that's the, one of the couple of the main advantages of these things. So, um, you know, we shipped those out, I think pretty much overnight to these guys that were, um, deploying to, I think, Afghanistan at that time. Um, you know, I've, we've sent them to Japan, Italy, England, all over the place. Um, you know, and I got to meet some, some pretty interesting people, you know, because of that, because they couldn't get them anywhere else. And it was kind of a hot thing. People were paying, ridiculous money to learn how to use these things, trainers. So, you know, to be certified, which is a very loose term in kettlebells at that time, uh, it could cost you a few thousand dollars, but you would make your money back because, you know, you go back home, nobody knew how to use them. Everybody want to train with you I and mean, you're charging a lot of money. And so we'd have people come from all over. They'd fly in <laughs> some for very circuitously all over the place I had a guy from Boise try to get here. He said, there's no easy way to get to Williamsport. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think about $1,000 in, in plane tickets, and he got here and, uh, and spent a weekend with me learning how to use these. He was a, a martial artist from Boise. Um, you know, I had guys come from Florida, from all over the place. We had, had one guy, he was um, ex-Secret Service. Uh, at that time, he was with the um, Air Marshals. I think it was his third um, uh, career with the government. I think he was a SEAL before that. Um, yeah, he and his partner came to train with me. And, you know, these guys, uh, he had been in the White House for three presidents, and he wanted to learn how to use kettlebells and because it kind of would help him with his work. 
Now, so uh, you, you know, have a degree. Pretty neat. You you actually have, have degrees in exercise science, don't you? Tell us a little bit about your education. We know that you worked uh, out education. with your wrestling coach <laughs> in high school, but what did you do after graduation? Uh, okay, so uh, I had, believe it or not, planned on being a lawyer all my life until I was a senior in high school, and then came just this had this epiphany. I was not going to sit behind a desk, which is where I am now, but. Um, so uh, I said, I want to be an athletic trainer, which at that time, you know, and, and that really is a, sort of a therapeutic type of job. I didn't understand what it was. <laughs> so I'm literally going to college uh, for a program that I didn't know what it was. And uh, uh, I end up at Lock Haven University, which is, is a pretty good athletic training school. And it's a state school in Pennsylvania. And uh, I take athletic training for, I think, a year, maybe two years. It was sort of a specialty uh, um, I was like, I don't like doing this. It's crazy. I'm taping ankles. Um, you know, again, I'm, I'm 18 years old. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, my degree was health science. So I, I continued on, finished my bachelor's in health science with the idea to go on to graduate school for exercise physiology. And as an undergraduate, I got to fool around with a couple of studies uh, through Penn State, and they had a couple of really famous uh, researchers there at the time, uh, one was Bill Kramer, who was one of the foremost strength training guys in the, in the world. Um, and I just didn't love research. So I was, you know, I said, Hey, I got this, I have this four year degree. I'm getting married. I was engaged. And, uh, and I'm like, I really don't know what I want to do. So I'm like, well, I'll take some time off. I ended up getting into, um, fitness management type of work. I, I ran, um, uh, some gyms and things like that, corporate wellness centers, and I decided I want to go back to school. So I go back. Um, so this is my uh, my first graduate degree. Um, I go to UNC Greensboro for uh, exercise science with a concentration in motor development. And motor development is the study of movement patterns throughout the lifespan. And so I was, you know, excited. This is interesting. It's it's a different spin on what I had already, you know, been studying. And uh, I had a great advisor, but completely different areas of interest. Her specialty was um, senior women and gait patterns um, between those that had fallen and those that had not fallen, hadn't fallen. So basically, my job as a graduate student was to watch video clips of old ladies walk up and down stairs, hours of it. <laughs> I wanted to blow my brains out. So... That lasted about a year. Went back eventually to physical therapy school. First daughter was born in the middle of that, and I was working full time. So dropped out of my second program. So I've got my bachelor's. I took two shots at second degree. Didn't finish either one of them, and and continued on with the fitness management. I, I ran a corporate some corporate wellness centers after that. I taught a little bit um, at a uh, community college and, um, and eventually said, you know what, I really want to go back and finish this thing. This is driving me nuts. And I think it was probably 10 years later, I finally went back and got my master's in exercise science with a concentration in uh, sports performance and injury prevention. So it took me quite a while, but I finally got there. So I got my second degree. And uh, I hold a couple of certifications also, but, but I got to say for those 
those people listening that don't understand, um, getting a trainer certification really is not that big of a deal. Most people can go out and get one in a weekend. Um, it's nothing compared to formal education, you know, a bachelor's or a master's or beyond. So a lot of people say, are you certified? To me, I say, well, I am a couple of times over, but I've got two other degrees. That matters. Right. I totally agree with that. Now, when I met you, you actually were working at, I remember now, the YMCA. Yep. You were running the, the fitness program there, and you contacted me at the local newspaper, um, and you had an offer for the lifestyle editor and I to come and work with you for 12 weeks because you were convinced it takes 12 weeks to form a habit and that if we were to come and work out with you by the end of 12 weeks, we would be committed to better health. And actually, Did it work? I, I think I worked with you actually for about five or six years after that. <laughs> I guess that was successful, right? Yeah. Well, you know, I people don't know this um, about me unless... You know, you've been within arm's reach, but I try to live um, a primal keto type of diet. I'm, I'm actually a food nut now. I, I try to eliminate all grains, eliminate all legumes. Um, I got kefir fermenting on my counter. <laughs> so, so I, I have taken seriously to heart a lot of the, you know, the, lessons that you've taught me. Um, one of the things that I don't do right now, though, is I don't exercise. I don't exercise. Um, and one of the biggest reasons why is I have an Achilles injury, and I've had it for almost a year. So I, I don't do too much of anything. Um, I need to. So you've got a lot of experience with old ladies going up and down stairs. And, and that's something <laughs> I don't even do too well anymore because of the Achilles. So I've been trying to uh, figure out, well, how can I stay in, you know, the health I have and improve it without exercising? What can I do? Well, what I would say is this. Um, it's very, very, very rare that you can't do something physical. So you say, how can I stay in shape without exercising? Yeah. Um, so this this is what I learned. You know, when you graduate, um, and I see this in younger students and beginning trainers. It's funny. I, I see myself and a lot of these people. And, uh, you know, of course, they're energetic and very eager. And they think in terms of um, sort of, you know, ideal strategies, ideal numbers. And, um, you know, they'll say, well, you know, this person's not doing this, so it's not working, you know, and, and, and again, it's, you know, it might be reaching a target heart weight or a number of reps or a weight or whatever it is. And, you know, I was the same way right after school, um, you know, because your head's full of all this information, but you don't know really how to apply it. You don't have a lot of experience, you know, and I, I was a, a very experienced uh, weight trainer at the time. I mean, even for being, um, you know, in my, um, late teens, early 20s, I'd been doing this stuff for a long time in a very serious way. And, and it, I had a unique uh, background compared to a lot of my classmates that didn't grow up in a gym environment. You know, I literally grew up in the gym. So, um, you know, so my expectations of clients were even higher. And it took me a little while, but then I kind of figured it out. And this is what I figured out. You know, you might have somebody that's um, overweight or they might have, you know, diabetes or some other issue. And, you know, they cannot start out, you know, um, 
for 20 or 30 minutes on a treadmill and lift weights for an hour and do all these different things. They might be able to walk down a hallway, get on a treadmill for five minutes, you know, whatever. It's not ideal. But what I figured out is, you know, five turns into six, six turns into seven, et cetera. And eventually they're doing uh, amazing things. And I saw people transform, you know, more than their bodies. They change their lives. You know, um, I had this one early client, one of my first clients, and I think I was probably 21. And uh, she was a third shift, um, I think, IT worker and very pretty, a little heavy. And she'd come into this gym. I was uh, the assistant director of a, of a medical school facility. And, uh, you know, she was really shy, quiet, and, and she got working out. And we started out really easy and just gradually worked it up, worked it up. And until eventually she was, you know, she dropped a ton of weight. She was working out for, you know, probably an hour, two hours a day, doing lots of cardio, watching what she ate. And, and I'd see her coming with a little bit of makeup and her hair done. And, and she'd be like, you know, hey, I've got a date. And, you know, smiling and... It just changed your life, you know, and I was like, that was kind of my first realization of this, this matters, you know, and I'm not going to ever make a lot of money doing it, but, you know, we are changing lives and, you know, doctors are certainly important, but they see somebody for a couple minutes every so often. I'm seeing people for, you know, hours every week. I get to know them, uh, I get to see how, um, they're happier, the people around them are happier. And, and, uh, you know, I think the world's a better place ultimately because of these things. So, so what you're saying, you know, anybody can do something, start out slow and, slow. you know, just, I've yes. seen people work out, you know, by sitting in a chair to start and eventually they're doing crazy things because they just kept plugging away. So, so don't use we'll my get to work it out again, ankle. Robin. Don't use no my excuses. ankle as an excuse. Right. No, so what you're talking no, no, about no. Um, in business, we call this the, I think it's called the aggregation of marginal gains. Where, a lot of big words you know, there. Yeah, I was just looking at, well, this is from my daughter. <laughs> this is one For of my smarter daughters. For um, me. <laughs> her philosophy is to, you know, always do business with this idea, with the aggregation of marginal gains. So if you're just, um, you know, improving by 1% today and 1%, 1% in a week, 1% in the next week, you know, you just mm-hmm. take that constant 1% and add time to it. And pretty soon, you know, you're... You're amazing. You've made lots of changes. Well, now you have a new business, I understand, called Blomo Online Training. Tell me a little bit about Among other things, I've always got about four or five things going at once, (laughs) which is the way I like it. Apparently, I get bored easy. But uh, yeah, um, so I still work with people face-to-face, but I'm I'm starting to kind of get away from that a little bit because I found that uh, it takes a lot of time and a lot of energy. and, And though I love it, I only see a few people. And I would like to um, help improve the lives of many people. So you want to scale? And yes. I want to scale. Not not crazy. I, I actually did a uh, beta test uh, to see how it would scale, you know, when you get into the big numbers. And I just didn't like that it was fairly impersonal at that level. But I still would like to scale somewhat. So I came up with Belomo Online Training. You know, it's all in the name. Uh, it's going to be primarily online with a little bit of face-to-face, uh, phone, email, that sort of thing. Um, so we're going to use different uh, means of contact, but um, I want to help people, uh, you know, not only learn fitness routines, but also help coach them so they understand, you know, there's a lot of psychology involved in this, behavioral changes, behavioral modification, um, you know, stress management, things like that. So, you know, you want to lose weight, that's great, but it's going to be more than just, 
numbers and diets. It's going to be about liking yourself and about being happier and about uh, being, you know, there for your loved ones versus, you know, stressed out or, you know, dying of a heart attack because you're, you're chasing the wrong things. I've seen it a lot. I've trained lots of people. I can't even tell you how many people I've trained and you just see patterns and you see people's, um, you know, sort of choices, you know, good and bad. And, uh, I've learned a lot from that. So, I want to pass on that that knowledge and, and help people become not only healthier but happier. So that's the idea behind Belomo Online Training. And uh, right now I'm just on Facebook, but uh, at some point I'll probably do a website and, and get out there a little bit more. So what can somebody expect if they're interested in, in online training with you? Um, how would they go about connecting with you and I mean, I'm not trying to put you on a spot here, but if somebody wanted to imagine, hint, hint, me. <laughs> they don't have to imagine. <laughs> if if, I, we'll make if it I'm thinking about, you know, getting fit, because, you know, I've been not completely incapacitated. Of course I haven't, but I have not been able to go out walking and I enjoyed hiking and, you know, I like to go kayaking and things. So I feel that this Achilles tendonitis that I have has really limited to me. And of course it makes me not the new year. I'm not doing a resolution here. This is just, Hey, I'm so sick of not being right. able to be physical. So what would you recommend someone like me do? contact you at Belomo online would- training? Message me, Facebook, uh, or you can email me at dave.belomo at gmail. Um, get a hold of me. We would set up probably uh, a phone interview and just see if we're a match. Um, you know, usually it works, but sometimes just, you know, personalities conflict a little bit or, you know, goals or, you know, expectations and it doesn't work out. So we'd see if we're a match. We probably would be. And then uh, we would uh, sort of start a process, do a, do an evaluation, uh, some goal setting, you know, um, and I would probably, um, you know, help with expectations because some people, you know, they get excited, which is great, but, you know, I, I want to lose 100 pounds tomorrow. Nope, <laughs> doesn't work that way. So, you know, making reasonable changes, you know, over time and, um you know, and again, it would be one of those things. This is interesting. So I, I didn't come up with this, but I think it was it was a pretty good way of putting it. And they said, "What's the difference between an online trainer coach uh, and a personal trainer that sees you face to face?" And the response was, "You know, the online guy, if it's done right, is there for the other twenty three hours a day. Uh-huh. So you know, the trainer, you see them once a week." three times a week for maybe an hour a time, and then you forget about it. Maybe if you're lucky, you know, the client, um, you know, will adhere to, you know, the diet recommendations you made or whatever. But typically you really only have their attention for an hour, one to three times a week where what I'm proposing would be more of a almost 24 seven thing where, you know, you've got something in your corner all the time. You know, you're out at a restaurant, you got a question, shoot an email, you know, or, you know, um, you're having, you know, issues or, you know, you have some stress, which would really kind of step outside of the normal purview of a trainer, you know, shoot me an email, call me up, whatever. So that's really, I want to make this a little bit more comprehensive than just a workout. So, you know, the idea is ultimately it's not about 
losing weight, getting in shape. I mean, that's part of it, but it's about um, being happier with life, with yourself, the whole bit. Because if, if that's not the end result of this, then what, what does anything else matter? What does it matter what your waist size is? If you're not happy at the end of the day with yourself, none of this matters. Well, I think I would like the concept um, of an online trainer because I personally, as an introvert, I don't like to leave my house. And I and I worry about inviting people over because oh man I got to go clean up now I got to go do the dishes I gotta I've go got five kids I hear you <laughs> I don't want anybody over here either I know so I mean it's not that my house is shambles but mine is <laughs> <laughs> but but people like me you know we 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 kind of like the idea that we have our privacy here but we can invite you in digitally re, you know remotely yeah through I mean online. with, with Technology now, you and I talked about this a long time ago. I remember this. Yes. And technology, we had this idea. I don't know if you remember this. I do. You I... and I talked about this. <laughs> technology wasn't there yet. Well, we were both. Email ahead was of fairly our new. Yes. Oh, we, my gosh. If we, we had absolutely just were ahead stuck of our time. with things, we're always ahead of our times. That's, that's one of oh, our Oh, my timing problems. sucks. <laughs> <laughs> you and I would be retired right now if we had actually stayed the course. It's hard. Anyway. It's hard to stay the course. But if, if if I wanted to set up like a little um, workout area in my home, not necessarily a gym, but just take a part of my house and I wanted to create some kind of space where I could exercise and have uh, very simple equipment, inexpensive equipment. You need very little, very and, little space, very little equipment. You really, things now, if you understand how the body responds to stress, you know, stress being exercise, mm -hmm. it requires so little to make a major difference. It's, it's, it's crazy. I used to, I used to love gyms. I owned a gym for eight years. Um, now I like a little private space because it's my quiet time. It's my time to be, you know, listen to whatever I want, you know, and, and kind of have to myself. And, you know, I work out in a small garage with, with limited things. Um, you, if you have, you know, a four foot by six foot space, you know, like just the, basically the space of a rubber mat, and a couple weights, maybe a kettlebell or a couple dumbbells, you can do tons of stuff. If you don't have anything, you can do tons of stuff still. You know, body weight, there's stuff around the house that has some sort of resistance. There's bands. There's, there's really nothing you can't do. Anybody can work out with little or no equipment. That's Absolutely. wonderful. So this is this is at the core of your Belomo online training, the idea that you can help people create these spaces within their home where they feel safe, where they feel secure, where they can actually work out in harmony and actually even in a meditative way. Because that's that sounds oh. to me like that's what you're doing in your garage. It's like a it's form my stress of meditation. management. Totally yeah. is. You know, it's um you know, you it it completely clears the mind. Um, you know, and I, I'm not um I'm not opposed to, you know, sort of the new agey stuff, but um, I wouldn't say I'm an expert in it, you know. Right. Uh, I do meditate from time to time. I wouldn't say I'm a, I'm a seasoned practitioner, but I do, uh, do enjoy mindfulness. Uh, however, um, you know, just the simple act of focusing on, you know, each rep and, and proper execution and, you know, even your stretching, all that is so therapeutic. It's crazy. Sure. Okay. Well, I'm looking forward to you developing this, especially with your Facebook site, because I realize that you can go online and do, you know, live training and you can have groups of people 
all connecting on your community there. So not only it would almost be at the gym again. I remember days when I would come and there would be Becky and Sherry and Tim and all of these people would be around. I mean, you know, and this would be a great way to virtually work out with a lot of those friends that we made in the past. Maybe we can get them out of the, get them shaking off the cobwebs and join you on training. Well, I think that's a wonderful idea. I'm looking forward to it. So sign me up. All right, definitely. All right. Well, is there anything else that we could talk about that maybe we didn't touch on at all? Anything you'd like to add? Um, well, you know, we talked about my books. Um, they can be uh, found uh, on Amazon. Yes, I've got links um, to them. I'll make sure that they're in the article. Wonderful. Um, now, wonderful. are you also working on any novels, by the way? I remember you were kind of interested in some I, I love fiction. And unfortunately, it takes a long time or a lot of luck to be good enough to do it full time. So fiction right now, I'm going to call that a hobby. Um, but I do love writing. Um, I was just talking to my wife, Kelly, the other day about, you know, there's there's different people you're around and a lot of them don't make a lot of money, but they, they have such passion and it, it all sort of tends to be art or art related. So you have, you know, people that are interested in, um, you know, like I, I hang around with some brewers, you know, beer. I like, I like craft beer or, um, I was watching Jerry Seinfeld has a show on, um, the internet called uh, comedians uh, in cars having coffee yes, something like that. And I've he, seen that. And he has a <laughs> oh, I love that show. I love, I'm a big Seinfeld fan, and he has such a passion for stand up. After all this time and after all the millions he's made, he still loves the pure, uh, you know, stand up. And in to me, writing fiction is that thing. And 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 I I kind of that's my goal moving toward uh, writing fiction. I'd love to do that full time. Um, I still dabble every once in a while. I put down a few ideas, but you know, I have a handful of sort of unfinished, uh, you know, rough drafts. So like hot fudge you know, and cigarettes. I did not forget that, by the way, <laughs> uh, that was, that title is still there sitting. I'm waiting That's to it. use it. Um, you know, <laughs> I know we all used the crazy to talk about things. different stories when we worked out together. I can't believe you remembered that. Oh, sure. That, in fact, I wrote it down, too. So if you don't use it, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I won't take it. <laughs> that, that will be used. I actually, uh, you know, there, there's so many, um, there's people, when people say, you know, there's nothing interesting or there's nothing to write about, that's crazy. There, There are so many stories out there. You know, I could literally write down my childhood, change a few names and have just so many short stories. It's, it's the, the stuff that, that goes on in everyday life, you know, and a lot of the stuff you cannot make up. It's just so crazy. Um, so uh, I was, I was talking, I was at a, um, it was, it was uh, a work dinner. So it was like, you know, we're out uh, at like a sort of a Christmas party thing. And um, we were talking about the, somebody said, Hey, aren't you the kettlebell guy? And, I said, well, more than that, but yeah, I did that. And, and I said, how'd you know? He said, well, I saw some billboards. You know, so this goes back about 15 or 16 years. And uh, then it turned into, you know, um, kind of my journey through and these angel investors that I had meetings with. Uh, you know, I, I went up to Canada and worked out with, um, I think it was Pamela Anderson's trainer. And then uh, I come back and this guy's supposed to do this, you know, business deal with me. And I don't hear from him. And then a friend of mine says, hey, 
get on this uh, website and here's this guy with my weight, not like a weight, my weight. I gave it to him and he's got a couple of young girls and he's working out with them and he's using my company name and he's thinking that he's in Canada and he, and he can do whatever he wants. And I'm, you know, as I'm telling the story, these guys are like, what? I'm like, oh, the guy ripped me off. And, uh, you know, it was crazy stuff, just crazy stuff. I ended up, I ended up uh, following a lawsuit yeah, I saw him on TV, did an infomercial. So there's there's so many of these weird, you know, people like, to me, this is normal. You know, the average person is going, you know, hey, I just, I went to work, came home, you know, went to my kid's soccer game, that was it. You know, I'm going, well, you know, I trained this guy, sued that guy, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Kelly's like, please don't sue anybody else. <laughs> um, you know, all kinds stressful. of stuff. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I was up there. um Heartbreaking. This is going back, you know. Well, you know, there, but there's funny stuff too. I mean, it was, it's not, not all bad stuff, but um, you know, in that trip, uh, I, I'm friends with some colorful people. This is, you know, people that are high level gym people. I have a couple of things to say because I was sort of one of them. We're all nuts, and we're all <laughs> uh, sort of interesting. And so I go up to see my friend, and I'm staying with him. We're going to go see this uh, trainer guy the next day. I'm going to show his wife how to do these things. He's going to kind of figure out if it's commercial. You know, that's, you know, can we, can we make money on it? And uh, he's like, well, I want you to have, friend, uh, have dinner with my friend and me. And it uh, turns out this is like a big mob guy. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so like, these things, you know, there's always these interesting, colorful people. And, and, and this is not a, you know, this is like the real deal, you know, and, uh, this guy, he owned a gym, he owned a few other things. And, and I'm going, Oh my gosh, like, this is not a, a pretender. This is a real deal. And, uh, you know, people were scurrying around him and, uh, and, uh, just, a, just an interesting, interesting, um, journey this has been. So, so this person could end up a character in one of your books. Well, I'm... uh, he actually is a, <laughs> Uh, he's no longer with us. His lifestyle did catch up with him. Uh-huh. But, uh, yeah, so there's always always a story. So well, I, I have lots writing. and lots of... Yeah, it's, it's, it's something I wish I did more of, frankly. Well, now, you published the Kettlebell Strength, the Strength and Power book yourself, didn't you? So you, not only are you a writer, but you're an independent publisher now, so kudos for that. Well, it, it was not by choice. Uh, McGraw-Hill... Uh, was my first publisher, you know, and they're big. Well, like a lot of um, publishers these days, you know, the internet and self-publishing is hurting them. And they got rid of um, a lot of their departments. And health and fitness was one of them. And usually, you know, when you get picked up by a major publisher, you stay with them. And, you know, you don't have to keep shopping around. You have uh, a means to distribute your books. Well, I lost my means. So if I was going to put this book out, I either have to shop it around for a song because the writer makes peanuts at the end of the day, uh, or I could just do it myself the way I wanted. Didn't have to worry about the title. It could be whatever I wanted. And uh, that's what I decided to do. I want to do it my way. So in doing that, you make very little money, usually. I, I realize that. Like but, but I can see the quality. I really did enjoy reading this book. I did enjoy it. And well, I enjoyed the photography, especially the cover. The cover is extremely striking. I really like that. Thank you. The, uh, the, <laughs> a lot of gentlemen commented on that, by the way. 
uh, you know, I'm a married guy with, with a bunch of kids, but, uh, there's a certain market for that type of look, apparently. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I did get a few hey, um, compliments. Hey, you became a sex symbol. Yeah. Good for you. Well, not for the group I would be <laughs> going after normally. but um, So uh, I did actually have a few uh, uh, old friends, females, that, that did enjoy that cover also. So I guess I hit a broader market than I was expecting. But uh, um, I have to give a shout-out. Um, my editor on that project was Andrew Chautola. I noticed that. Andrew, do you know who that is? I do, I do. He is the um, editor for the poetry uh, magazine for Bucknell University. Right. So I was very fortunate to get a real pro to help me out with that project. Well, it reads very well. So he's also well. a kettlebell guy. Yeah. It's, it's very easy to read. It was very interesting to me. And I hope it takes off, especially now that, you know, people in CrossFit are very interested in kettlebells. Oh, yeah, that's, that's a big deal with them. Um, there's a guy that uh, CrossFit, the company has, his name's Jeff Martone. He's a guy I've, I've come in contact with a little bit. He, we sort of know each other, not real well, but Jeff's a, a very good, uh, skilled kettlebell instructor. And so he kind of legitimized the kettlebell aspect of CrossFit. So, uh, you know, he was, he was one of the early adopters like I was. So, yeah, there's, there's kind of a pretty rich history there. Um, a, lot of the, a lot of the well-known people in fitness now um, were just kind of getting their chops back in the, the 80s and 90s, and uh, now we're all in our 40s and 50s. And, uh, you know, a handful of us have really come a long way and are pretty big names in the industry. And we seem to keep running into each other. Well, you know, course, it's one of those yes. things. Where, it's a niche market. Yeah, well, you know, <clears throat> a lot of people go out and they'll speak at big conferences or, or do large instructions. I kind of got away from that. I'm, I'm more of a family guy in a small city now, but, um, but I still, you know, dabble and still bump into these guys once in a while at, at conferences and, you know. So it's fun. I love meeting the people. That's probably the best part of the whole thing. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciated you taking your time and talking to me tonight. Well, you're so welcome. It was my pleasure. All right. Goodbye. Goodbye. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Dave Belomo and that it inspires you to start moving and perhaps develop an exercise routine. I'm excited about getting back into a fitness program and having Dave help me on my journey to health and wellness. I have a small kettlebell and I'm going to use Dave's guide to start training with my kettlebell for strength and power, despite my age and ability. Like Dave said, take baby steps and start now. Your home gym doesn't need to be elaborate or large. You can start small and simple. You just need to start. Look for Belomo online training on Facebook and look for Dave's books online at Amazon. You can find me online at robinvanauken.com. While you're on my site, download my novel West Wind. It's free. And speaking of free, I've got half a dozen free resources for writers and other creatives, so sign up today. Check out the episode and show notes at robinvanauken.com slash session nine. Thank you so much. And if you haven't done so, please hit that subscribe button on your device. Until next time, goodbye.